Hi, my name is Katie Malone. And I'm Brendan, the husband. And you're listening to The Little Flock, the podcast that offers practical insights about living a counterculture of goodness, truth and beauty in a world of increasingly hostile secularism and indifference. So, if you're looking to learn from two imperfect followers of Christ about how to live like the wheat amongst the darnel, this is definitely the podcast for you. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Little Flock. My name is Brendan Malone. And I'm Katie Malone. We are very pleased to be back with you, to make <laughs> you your acquaintances once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, struggling to get the right words out it's there. Someone's got a gun to your head. Yeah. <laughs> Don't We're tell very the... pleased to be here. Family secrets. Um, okay, so... Um, we get anything done right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's shocking, isn't it? Uh, let's get a couple of the notices out of the way, like a good church meeting. We'll start with the notices, so let's get them we out of the way. We usually have those at the end, don't we? All right, <laughs> no, we'll get them out of the way first. Otherwise, everyone leaves before notices. That's the trick. True. Everyone, I, I, don't, I don't know if you realise this, folks. We're letting in, in, in on a little inside baseball here that basically uh, a lot of churches realise that people leave if you put notices at the end, so you put them at the beginning. And you've got a captive audience. But that's not why we're doing it. We're just getting it out of the way. So please, uh, if you're new here, uh, like and subscribe. Give us a rating if you can, whatever podcast platform that you are listening on. Uh, secondly, if you would like to support our work, we would greatly value that. Every little bit helps. We are a donor-driven ministry. We rely uh, totally on the providence of God and the generosity of his good and faithful servants such as yourself. There's two ways you can do that. One is you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is in the show notes. And if you do it that way, then you will get access to our exclusive patrons-only content, which we put out every single week. So by becoming a $5 monthly patron, you don't just support our work. You also get access to the uh, social and political commentary podcasts that we put out exclusively every single week in our monthly interview podcast as well. There is another way to support us though if you want to and this is particularly helpful if you're living in New Zealand. Go to lifenet.org.nz and uh, on that website you'll find our donate button and the details for how you can make a contribution, become a regular AP donor to support our work that way. And if you do that and you're in New Zealand, then at the end of every tax year, you get to claim it back on your annual tax return, which is always a great thing. Last but not least, Katie, before we get into the, the meat and potatoes, mm -hmm. as I like to say, as old dad likes to say of the show, um, don't forget that uh, we are a show which exists to answer your questions. So if you've got questions that you'd like to ask, please send them to uh, our, well, I was going to say, no, don't email them. Actually, that's dumb. What you need to do is go to the littleflockpodcast.org or lifenet.org.nz. The littleflockpodcast.org takes you to our podcast page online. Lifenet.org.nz takes you to our ministry website. And you'll see at the top of either of those pages, there is a link that you can click on and you can fill in a totally anonymous form to send us your questions or topics that you'd like us to talk about in future episodes. Right, Katie, with that all out of the way, let us jump straight in, shall we? Let's do it. It's rather awkward today, folks. I'm sorry, you, you probably can't appreciate this because you can't see us, but <laughs> my microphone's not quite around the right way, so I'm having to look at the screen and keep turning sideways oh. to face my lovely wife. So, yeah, that's a bit of a shocker. Hopefully the awkwardness doesn't translate into what you're hearing. 
Uh, okay, so um, let's start, Katie, by talking about uh, elections, everyone's favourite topic. <laughs> uh, is this the kind of good news you want us to talk about on this podcast? Um, because it's good, true, and beautiful, Brendan. Yeah, <laughs> you might be getting away from the. It's the polar opposite, isn't it? Elections are important, though, and that's it's why true. we thought we thought we should actually talk about this because there is a context in which elections take place that I think is often completely neglected, and we really do fail to consider, which is actually quite important and the reason why we're talking about this is because in well, it's a month's time it's exactly a month oh that's crazy isn't it just under yeah. a month's time it's mental we're going to be going to the polls in New Zealand to have a general election well, some people will be going yeah. to <laughs> yeah, some people some will stay and they saying this predicting lowest voter turnout or something oh like, yeah yeah yeah, it's huge. And you've yeah. got people, particularly on the left, who are writing articles decrying their friends who are telling them, look, I'm not going to vote. So, right. man, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and it's certainly uh, not an uncontroversial, it is, yeah, that's not an uncontroversial election, this one. There's so much flying around out there and lots going mm. on. But one of the things that I think is totally underappreciated and we don't ever consider actually um, is elections and family life. Mm. There is this really important connection in this regard, and we're going to talk about that. But before we get into that, I thought I would just um, sort of unpack a few questions and put them to you, Katie, and see what All you right, think. On the spot. Okay. Can you think of some good family-friendly policies that it would be great to see from a parliament, any parliament? Not off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> just reverse all the ones they've done in the last uh, six to nine years. <laughs> so, yeah, so all, undo all the evil, undo all the bad stuff. evil madness. Um, the only policy I think that would actually sway me at the moment would be a really good tax cut. You want a tax cut? Well, oh, this is interesting. We've got a little yeah, bit of just difference in I the think, family. Um, not necessarily a tax cut, but something like what they have in Australia where the first however many thousand dollars of your income uh, are not taxed. Yeah, I'm with you on that Because one. there's a lot of yeah. chats about, oh, we'll take GST on fruit and veg, which everybody goes, oh, good, but then realises actually that might save them $3 a week. Um, no. I think your average New Zealand family yeah. needs some relief. Yeah. Um, and and by not taxing the first however many thousand dollars of income, you also catch the people right at the bottom. Yeah. But not the people at the top so much. That's very... You so, know, so, yeah. You, I don't know. You, I mean, I haven't looked into it enough, but my instinct says if only New Zealand was a country that could afford something like that. Yeah. Or is there a way New Zealand can afford something like that? Yeah. It is something that would make me look at parties differently if that was something I was that, like, well, that, it's on the table. That yeah. is, uh, that is a, a very, very good point. And um, I think... Yeah, tax cuts are for me are like blah. They're sort of lollipop. Well, they never tend to know. catch, you know, the right people. No, and GST <laughs> yeah. or fruit and veg, by the way. Um, listening to different tax experts talking about it, they're saying what will probably happen is just the supermarkets will actually just bump, just up. bump up the price and keep yeah. the extra. So it's not you can't, and there's no way well, of knowing. Well, they have to ship out their bread expert from Italy. To, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of madness yeah. anyway. Um, but I think. Um, yeah, I think your idea, what you're talking about with the whole idea of actually having like proper taxation, stratified taxation relief, not just here's a tax cut, we'll give you some money, here's a lollipop, please yeah. vote for us. And here's more working for families or whatever, you know, yeah. like it, it seems like every year they roll that one out and it's like, well, that's nice, but it's actually not yeah. keeping up with, with the cost of living. No, no. And, and the key thing we haven't had is we our um, taxation brackets have not shifted. I believe it's now 11 years, but mm. it's been at least 10 years. Um, since they have changed, they have not moved with inflation. So yeah. basically what happens is you get what they call bracket creep, where you get pam families. <laughs> What's a family? I don't know. <laughs> your family. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pertinent families are families. Um, no, you get you get families who are um, who are in the uh, lower 
income bracket, but uh, as inflation shifts and they don't, um, the brackets don't shift with it, they end up paying more tax, basically, who lower income families. And it's it's unjust. It really is unjust. So the, the cost of living is more. Effectively, they're actually in a much worse off position. If you just increase the brackets upward, then people who are now in those lower income brackets will no longer be treated like they're in the middle income income sorry brackets and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah, I think and I think your point though about t- how we tax is important. Yes. Yeah. Like what? Why? The 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 conversation we're not having is I don't care about so much about oh we'll give you X amount of dollars. No, 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 we'll give you X amount more. That's right. Yeah. I'm more interested in actually um, why are we taxing and how do we tax families and what can we do to ensure that families have a strong, robust economic foundation of their own, Mm. you know? Okay, next question to consider, and this is an interesting one. How do husbands and wives handle the voting choices? Um, Because it's an interesting thing, and the reason I ask this question, this is where I don't think we consider this much at all. The original notion of um, the suffragettes who were asking for the vote they actually copped a lot of opposition from other women when they mm. first tried to do this. And the reason they had strong pushback from other women was because originally the vote was not actually an individual vote. So not mm. every man had a vote, only men who owned property. Yep. So it was actually a household vote. Mm. And you voted on behalf of your household. What was And, and that was everyone in your household. That your family members, your children, your wife, your uh, if you had servants and workers, all of it, like, mm. and, and that was that was how you voted. And so they said, no, this will actually split men and women if you have this woman's only vote, and 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 not all men have the vote. And and they actually were not very successful. And then once the 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 shift happened to being more supportive of the suffragettes was once they gave everyone the vote, then it was like, well, there's no reason for it not to be women as well. Mm. But it does raise an interesting question. Now we tend to think of our voting t- t- uh, choices in purely separatist kind of individualistic ways. Hmm. You have a vote, I have a vote. But really, I, I wonder whether as a family we should consider what does that look like in the Christian vision of family when it comes to voting? What hmm. do you think? Um, I think everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And But each person should be voting for the best interests of the people that they yeah. are given by God to care for. You know, yeah. they have stewardship over. So... Yeah, my vote should be considered against what my res- rights, my re- responsibilities and roles are, and yeah, yeah, the, and vice yeah. versa. So you'd be yeah. thinking about me and the kids. I'd be yeah. thinking about you and the kids. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, our kids are pretty. I don't think they're politically savvy necessarily, but probably more so than your average child. Yeah. Um, and they constantly keep saying to me, "Who are you voting for, Mum? Who are you voting for?" Every time I drive past a billboard, I'm like, "I don't know. I've yeah. eliminated all the people I'm not voting for." <laughs> and that, and that raises an interesting thing, like, um, how do you come to your choices? Like, we talk a lot about yeah. it. Eh? We 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 talk to each other regularly, and mm. we'll share articles and information and policy things we hear. Mm. And yeah, it's generally. It's not like we sit down and do a cost-benefit equation and then we <laughs> say, got right, a spreadsheet for this yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, got a spreadsheet. Here's who we vote for. Generally, I think we probably vote pretty similar, don't we? I, I, don't, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like it's something that ever, has ever come between us, but we probably think. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're simpatico anyway. But. Yeah, yeah. i just tell a little, funny little story, actually. I don't know if you remember <laughs> this from a couple of elections ago. Yeah. Maybe six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we were going somewhere and we said, oh, we've got to vote. We've got to vote before we go. Oh, and we went past right. the local primary school and we went in because we had young kids. We, One of us waited in the car and well, the other one went in and then we 
took yeah. our turns. And as I got back in the car, I think it was um, Nathaniel must have been. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe one of the twins said, who did you vote for, mummy? And I said, oh, this person. And they said, oh. I said, what's wrong? She said, I thought you were going to vote for daddy. I was <laughs> <laughs> very disappointed that I <laughs> if only voted for you. <laughs> the Prime Minister, I've been, I've been promoted. Prime Minister of Rangiora. Prime Minister of Rangiora. <laughs> um, that's funny. That is so funny. That, that's an interesting point, though, about families going together to vote. We, we were in a bit of a rush that, that time. But I remember last election, it was separate, eh? I, I reckon maybe there is some merit in taking the kids with you and sort of showing them. Because I remember duty. going with yeah. my parents mm. and there was a sense of community and civic duty in it. Mm. It was like, this is what you did. Mm. Um, and in fact, I think a couple of times we walked down to the polls because they're often at local schools, right? So we walked down to the poll, yeah. polls together and you sort of watch this bizarre thing unfolding and it was all over very quickly. One time the election was on my best friend's wedding day and I had to go down before we... <laughs> I might have done it the day before, but I felt we all went down and were like, right, right get this done before we get married. So funny. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one. My personal pet peeves is the way they've opened up voting now. I think it's two weeks of voting mm. we've got. I actually think that it should flip, be. Flip a bit on that yeah, one. yeah, I really think it should be one day. And I think reason for that is um, number one is because it prevents any sort of last minute electioneering and That's right. silly, yeah. silly billies going on where, mm. you know, like yeah, a lot can happen in that. Yeah, period. if you can't campaign on the last day of. Voting, yeah. then why should you have a campaign for the yeah, yeah. 13 days before that? No, weird, no. It? And, and I, I, you know, it also uh, avoids the risk of someone, something happening, like say five days out from election and someone's already voted. Mm. And they're like, oh man, I want to change my vote, but they can't. That's right. So, I, and also, secondly, I sort of, I've, to me, it feels like it's the day. It's you come together to vote. And if there's a reason why you can't vote, like let's say you're a doctor or an emergency care worker, it feels like there should either be special. Um, care taken to ensure like they come to your workplace and allow you to, you know, like at a hospital and all the staff can come and vote or um, that maybe what they do is they have a, um, a, a like a, a mail-in exemption for you, mm. that, you know, that you can post it in, but you might still vote on the day, but you post it in or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's to me, it's like a philosophical thing in a sense of the responsibility and it, otherwise it sort of, it feels very consumeristic and yeah, odd. It'd be interesting to know the figures on how many people you catch with that extra two weeks, you know, like yeah. the people that are going to vote are going to go and vote whether you have one day or two weeks. Yeah. So that how much of a percentage are they actually catching in those extra, yeah. extra days would be interesting to know. Yeah. So that brings me to the next question. Um, how do you remain at peace when families strongly disagree about politics? Now we're pretty blessed. We don't have this problem mm. and please God long may it continue, but who knows one day it may become an issue, but how do you remain at peace when families like um, strongly disagree? What What would you advise if there's families where that is an issue? I think you just have to have civil conversations, and if you get to a point where it's not going to be civil, then maybe you have to mm. agree to step away. And yeah, yeah, you you know, if you're really going to strongly disagree, the likelihood of one thing you say changing their mind or vice yeah. versa is is pretty small. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you'd you'd have to if you wanna if you are concerned about your spouse's or your older children's voting choices, like they let's say they really are legitimately, you know, they're voting for the legalized cannabis party or something, mm-hmm. then you're not going to win them back into to goodness and truth by um by just the having a fight them. with That's them. Right, no, yeah. you you got to have dialogue, mm. and that means you know having conversation with them, listening. And I think also loving them. And, mm. and I think that shows that maybe that if they see you as a person who's loving, then maybe they see some loving merit in your voting choices eventually. Mm. It's, uh, and you, you just got to, I think you got to trust that old adage too, that um, 
If you are not a socialist when you, or a Marxist when you are in your 20s, you've got no heart. If you're still a Marxist in your 40s, you've got no brain. And so, so, but it's kind of true when you're younger, you're sort of driven by the passion of it. And then as you get older, you mature and, and things change. So it's, I think it's parents, you've got to trust that maybe with your kids, you know, that'll happen as well. You do the best you can and then let, yeah. them, uh, let them fly from the nest. And I think like we have a lot of conversations around politics and um, I know my family, certainly that was something that was quite normal to have mm. around the election to have kind of mum and dad would chat about it. And it wasn't like yeah. we weren't unaware, you know, we didn't necessarily understand everything, but we were, we yeah. were aware that there was an election coming, what that meant. Yeah. Um, I think problems come when people start setting politicians up as, as the saviours. Oh, you know, yeah. like if we yeah. decide that this part, one party is going to save the country, I mean, we can see you yeah. need to look back at history to see that's not going to happen. Yes. And, and, there was and if, a recent female <laughs> in charge of our country who will remain nameless. <laughs> but even before that, you know, yeah. like if you look at, you know, Germany, for yeah. instance, where people thought, oh, this is the one party, the one yeah. person that can save us. And, and um, as we know, that's not true. So yeah. no politician, no person can save you. So yeah. um, yes, politics has a part to play in how our country's run and, and repercussions on what that means for families and just the people in the country, the citizens, but at the end of the day, that's not where salvation comes from. No, you're great. So if point. you're getting that passionate about it, you probably need to take a step back and, and yeah. remember that. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point because as, yeah. as Christians, uh, and scriptures are very clear about this, we don't follow a political Messiah. Mm. It's not a political movement, Christianity. It, it wants to redeem politics, human yeah. politics, but it's not. And the danger is we reduce it to. Um, you know, a political movement, and then we get so caught up in what we think are the right or elevating politics to a to a yeah. you know almost a religion yeah. status. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's mm. a good point. So I guess I think it's just something you got to work on, mm. and I think probably it tends to be my gut instinct would be it's more. Although this election could be a bit fraught because in my travels and my speaking ministry, I've met people all around the country over the last six to twelve months because of the vaccine mandates. It's mm. brought even, but I, I had a really um, it, was a very, it, was, it was a kind of sad conversation it was with the man, older man, and him and his wife disagreed on that point. And, and th- they were both together and loving and all the rest of it, but it was still a point of contention. Mm. So I suspect this election within families that might be, or within households be that might be more of an issue. Bubbling away still there, yeah. But I suspect probably the bigger problem is the extended family. So mm. a household probably might all think very similarly, but once you get outside that, mm. it's the extended family. And it's, I would imagine it's things like the first family function or get mm-hmm. together after the election and leading up mm-hmm. to it. That's where I think you just got to be as a person who is um, a disciple of Christ. You've got to work extra hard to maybe bite your tongue mm. or to to bring peace. You know, let That's me right. be an instrument of peace That's in those right. situations. You know, and also bear in mind we are in New Zealand, so we probably won't know anything after the election. It could be a few months oh, before yeah. we know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> because man. how politics works in this country. Man, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, which is the, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is it working? Um, last question, how do you prioritise politics so the negative downsides that it can bring to a household are kept in check? What would you say? Sometimes just do book club instead of talking about politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't let it dominate. So that would be yeah. one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think as well, one, one mistake you make is actually not to have um, good legitimate political discussions. You know that old adage, you know, don't talk about politics and religion at the dinner table. That is just stupid. <laughs> it is, it's so to talk about. dumb. And it comes from enlightenment liberalism and also really the separation of spheres, the public and private life. And it's trying to intrude into the family home, basically. Mm-hmm. Into the private sphere is now saying, no, that the private sphere should also have a public and private sphere 
that you shouldn't talk about certain things, even in your private family. Mm. No, I think the way to avoid the probably the problems is to actually have healthy conversations, mm. and to and to not to sort of, um, you know, to shy away from it because I I think that probably just, you know, agitates people rather than, you know, is particularly helpful. But again, you've you got to know when to walk away. That's right. Too. Yep. And that's the that's the challenge. I guess, I guess the 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 key thing for us is saying, okay, what what is our? If you're a disciple of Christ, what is the priority? It's goodness and truth, and beauty. That's the culture we're trying to live and maintain. And so, are my actions, are my words, good and true? Mm. They might be true, but they might not be good. And then, are they beautiful? They might be good. They might be true, but they might not be beautiful in what I'm saying or how I'm saying it. So, you know, if you, you keep that at the forefront, and like you say, sometimes that means it's just book club tonight yep, for the right. six night in a row. <laughs> so, yeah, but I think it's something we've got to fight for. Is And and I would say don't ever – we've seen this over the last couple of years, probably really in a big way since 2016, you know, those articles that started appearing, should I invite my Trump voting uncle oh, yeah. to Christmas? And it was all of a sudden politics yes. became this – um, bright line test for who was actually a member of your family or not, and that's just evil. Don't mm. don't let that happen in your family. Don't let that Absolutely. happen. Absolutely, yep. you know. Okay, so that's politics. We've solved the world's problems. Yep, sorted. Get out there and vote, people, or not, as the case may be. You have the freedom not to in New Zealand. Uh, let's move on to this great article on. It's, it's titled "On Being Impatient." As we rush Some into great, the sun. great pointers. <laughs> Some very great pointers. Very relevant for us this morning <laughs> in the pre-record for this, wasn't it? There's a little bit of uh, both of us and, and busy airs trying to get other things done. Um, Absolutely. Let, let's start with this article on being impatient. Um, and the two great quotes, I mean, we could just about stop without even reading the article. The first quote is from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. If you haven't read The Gulag Archipelago or Live Not By Lies, any Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you need to read Alexander Solzhenitsyn. But he says this, hastiness and superficiality are the psychic diseases of the 20th century. It's true, right? It is true. I was thinking, wonder what he'd say about the 21st. Well, yeah, <laughs> ultra-manic hastiness and superficiality. Um, and then Leo Tolsty, Tolsty, gosh, I should have read that slower. Mm. Talk about impatience. Leo Tolstoy. <laughs> Leo Toasty. <laughs> oh, man, he is uh, both... Uh, one of the great uh, of literature and uh, the most tasty of the tasty Tolstoy. <laughs> Tolstoy. That's a shocker, wasn't it? Okay, uh, the strongest of all warriors are these two: time and patience. That is a great quote for family life, right? Great quote. Here's what the article says: We are too impatient. Slaves to efficiency, devotees of multitasking, disciples of expediating, we are a tragically foot-tapping and dangerously inattentive breed. And you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me once I was with one of my clients in a former job that I had, and we were on a job site, and uh, we were waiting for a lift, and I pressed the button for the lift, the elevator, for those who are listening overseas, and it, and it didn't quite come as fast as I wanted to, and I pressed it several times. Mm -hmm. And the client who I was with is an older guy, who's a technician, who's a bearded technician, and he said, that's a sign of impatience, you know. Just relax. And I was, it was quite. I still remember that. He, was, he says, "What are you? What are you so impatient for?" Mm -hmm. Okay, um, just think about it. Modern politicians communicate in tweets and sound bites. Movie images have rocketed from sixteen frames to three hundred fr frames per second. Well, that's not really a, an impatience issue. That was a, that, crazy. That, yeah, that, that's a trick to try and get a particular look. That's so. That's a little bit sneaky. Uh, Mr. Author of this article. Uh, even our cursory texts and tweets aren't brief enough, so we use shorthand, emojis, and GIFs. And it's getting worse, eh? Absolutely, yeah. 
You know, sooner or later it would just be grunts. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, I haven't got time for words. Teenage boy communication. <laughs> Teenage boys will be in the ascendancy. <laughs> they will rule the world. Uh. Uh, and compared to the old days when you sauntered over to the family world book encyclopedia, I often oh. talk about that. Did you have encyclopedias? Yeah, I those days. Yeah, we had the oh. Funk and Wagnalls. Don't yeah. say that quickly or you'll be in trouble. <laughs> Dad used to look up like all the medical terms when we were watching casualties. Yep. Find out what they meant. Yeah, so we had no the, Googling. The, we had the Funk and Wagnalls dictionaries, uh, sorry, encyclopedias, and it was like the family encyclopedia set. Uh, and I remember the encyclopedia salesman would regularly come once or, or every second year, try and sell you, you Britannicas or yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then um then there would be um we had a medical, a set of four medical Encyclopedias as well, no, so popular at your house. All bases were covered. That was I. Uh, nope, it's not broken. <laughs> I often we used to look at those. They had those little clear acetate overlays of the body, so you could layer, you know, the skeleton, and then you put the muscle layer on top, and you build up a, a person. Um, but yeah, so basically, as I, I tell people in presentations about this, that was our Google. You know, <laughs> that was it. Um, as you know, your alphabet and everything. Yeah, yeah so funny, eh, man. Um, okay, to the Family World Book Encyclopedia or down to the library, even worse, to find resources by pouring through the card catalogue. The speed with which Google or ChatGPT can answer our questions is downright stunning. And still, we are impatient. It, it feels like we're getting more impatient as the technology makes things quicker. That's all right. Do you remember, like, I, I don't, did you have an old computer back in the day? Yes, we had a Commodore 64. Yeah. And did you have the tape? 1986. Yeah, we had a Commodore 16. And it was yeah. the same. We had a, did you have the floppy disk or the tape player? Yeah, we started with the tape. We press play and it would take 40 minutes. When did you get that? In like 1999 or something. 1824. It came to our house. Lord Smithy bought it on the back of a buggy. Encyclopedia man brought it with you. A carriage and a buggy. With the encyclopedia. With the first encyclopedia. It was only one. It was the letter A. They hadn't finished the second one yet. No, so you'd press play on a tape to load a game and it would take 45 minutes sometimes more to load a game and it was a basic <laughs> game it was nothing it wasn't complex and you'd be like wow this is so quick <laughs> and now you look at it and but now it's just uber fast it's like instant and we're like it's not quick enough it's not quick enough yeah 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 funny that eh yeah. uh, when you are reading an essay or article on your phone and this is you you read a lot on your phone ask mm. yourself how many seconds pass before you start scrolling to see how long it is do you do that no it depends come on Oh, really? I'm not. I'm not a fan of this acronym he's about to talk about. Oh, really? oh, yeah, no. oh! I remember the first time I came across the abbreviation TLDR. Too long. Didn't read. Yeah. Why didn't Why didn't you like it? Because you should read. I get really annoyed with yeah. people on Facebook yeah. who like comment on articles where they haven't actually read the whole thing, and you can clearly tell. Yeah, the I yeah. Like first paragraph and last yeah. paragraph. Or, yeah, I'm like, if you're going <laughs> to write a comment, just read, read the whole thing. Read the whole thing, please. Commit to it. I disagree with what committed this guy said. Committed enough to write a comment. You committed enough to, well, you should be committed yeah. to write, read the whole thing. The only thing I don't read all of is the recipes that come with like, you know, five stories about how the person was on a train and uh, looked at the trees yeah, and they thought, oh, I should gosh. really make that marshmallow slice. And then it's like. Yeah. Just yeah, give me the recipe. Jump to recipe every time. What do I need to buy and how do I yeah. put it in a bowl and That's then in right. the oven? Thank yeah, you. Yeah. End of story. I <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay. Um, someone had employed it for a 500 word essay. Too long, didn't read for 500 words. Wow. I thought it was clever until I realized it was actually tragic. Mm. TLDR epitomizes our stunted attention span. Make it fast or make it go away. We're spoiled by speed. We are recklessly recklessly impatient, and without impatience, we lose wonder and discernment. Beautiful. So true, right? Mm. 
In his brisk collection of essays, The Noise of Typewriters, what a great name for an essay. Mm. Can I say that? Yeah. You can. Lance, TLDR, the opposite of Should have of, had some sound effects me. and some clacky clackies Cl- in the background there. Well, look, I'll the add some clack. Oh, wait, clacky everyone, clackies. listen, I'm going to add the clacky clackies now. Hope you enjoyed those clacky clackies. <laughs> Just, I do want the wife, happy wife, happy life. Um, <laughs> so, The Noise of Typewriters, Lance Morrow tells the odd story of Dr. Louis Agassiz. Agassiz? Yeah, okay, a Harvard professor of natural history faced with an eager student yearning for this august mentor, Agassiz, would pull a large and very dead fish what, from its formaldehyde-filled jar, slop it down on a tin tray and tell the student, uh, look at your fish. The student, perplexed, would be left alone for an hour only to stutter and stammer some unsatisfactory answers once the professor returned. Frowning and shaking his head, Dr. Agassiz would repeat, look at your fish, and once again walk away. We'll try this with our kids. Apparently this exercise would last hours over several days until the exhausted student began to really see the fish in all of its wonder. Complexity that transcends its facts. That's great, eh? Um, reflecting on the story, Morrow wrote, never be certain that there is no meaning. Never be certain that about anything too quickly. Mm-hmm. That's great, Beautiful. eh? This is your dinner. Mm-hmm. Walk away. See your kids. It'll work out well. This is your dinner. Two days I have later. found it's a good trick with kids, though. Let them run. Yeah. But don't be too quick to jump in. Yeah. And don't be too quick to answer. Like, sometimes yeah. you just stand there in silence and stare at them, not in an intimidating way, but it's intimidating just because you're not talking. Yeah. You sort of get to things. The, yeah. the truth, truth comes out more yeah, easily. Let them, some, let yeah. them fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah. Just wait. Yeah. You don't have to talk every time. Yeah. Yeah, we try and fill the space. Because we're the parents, we think we're in charge of all the talking. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Morrow also champions the meticulous work of Robert Caro. Caro has spent decades writing only a few books. (laughs) This sounds like me, reading only a few books. Uh, One on New York City urban planner Robert Moses and four on President Lyndon B. Johnson with a fifth on it. He's definitely got a tie. (laughs) Favourite topic? Oh, I don't know, Lyndon B. Johnson. No, you could write four books. And a fifth one on the way. They might be short books. Like the first encyclopedia. His work is so meticulous that it borders on the obsessive compulsive. For the smallest of details, Caro would spend an inordinate amount of time getting the story just right. Obviously, Morrow rightly notes that this is the characteristic of a biographer and not a journalist on deadline. As a matter of fact, Caro found himself financially strapped many times during his endeavours. <laughs> Ten years I have that book for you. Uh, but his work in which he turns every page is unparalleled in its completeness. Truth, Caro insists, takes time. And that's what you're saying, right? Yep. Let the kids speak. Let them speak and the truth will out. Yeah, great point. Truth takes time, but we don't like that. We want answers now. Mm-hmm. Served up piping hot. Chop, chop. <laughs> yeah, how often has the parent has said that? Chop, chop. Clean your room. Uh, well, that is. We, we do want that, don't chop, <laughs> chop. <laughs> uh, but by instantly obliterating the chasm between our curiosity and our apprehension, we may not grow. Where there is no struggle to define terms, no wrestling for clarity, no consideration, much less reconsideration of why our question even matters in the grander scheme, no fundamental waiting, just so that things can simmer, we grow intellectually and at times spiritually flabby. In Dante's Divine Comedy, even at the base of the formidable Mount Purgatory, the august poet Virgil implores strangers to share the secret of how to move expeditiously from Purgatory's uh, interminable uh, antechamber for who knows most Virgil taps his foot him loss of time most grieves mm. 
And and I think that that's true, eh? And, and you know what I've noticed too is I think in any sort of, if you're involved in ministry or even family life or church leadership or anything like that, we get on this efficiency deadline and it's this mm-hmm. false deadline we impose. We think, no, we've got to have a problem solved by 10 a.m. tomorrow. Or we've got to do this thing by next week. But do we? Why? Is it okay just to stop and actually wait and come to a better mm. outcome with, you know, by, by allowing the space for that? Yeah. I, I reckon, yeah, it's a real trap, eh? Mm. And in family life, yeah, that can be a real, a real trap. In a wide ranging 2003 interview, essayist and raconteur, I haven't heard that word in a while. Oh, that's a good one. Raconteur, mm. Brendan mm-hmm. Malone. He was quite the raconteur, Mr. Malone. Mr. Milliam. Uh Joseph Epstein told a story of patients misunderstood. I have a cousin who died recently. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> a lot of patients in death, I guess. A guy named Sherwin Rosen, who I loved, really. He was the chairman of the economics department at Chicago, and at a memorial dinner for him, this man, Gary Becker, who won a Nobel Prize in economics, said, You know, when Sherwin was a graduate student here, we almost canned him because he was slow in response. If you asked Sherwin a question, he would say, gee, I am not certain. And then he would come back a month later. (laughs) That's a long time. He brooded on these things, but he saw aspects in the question none of us did. Becker said, being fast in response is one of the things we look for in good students, but it's a mistake. Mm. It's true. And I think in our kids and family life too, right? Give me an answer. Tell me what's going on. But maybe that's we need to let our kids actually just formulate the truth and yeah. not just formulate an answer. That's right. Also, because sometimes the first answer is just the one they think you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we found out on the weekend, I had a little blow up with two of our children <laughs> who it was a fight over cheese slices. Yep. This is the Family ultimate, Life 101. Ultimate slap down over the cheese. And both of them. And I came out and there was a going on and, and I said, what the heck is going on here? And they were like, they both gave me a quick answer and both of them told a half truth and a porky pie. And I had to, twice I had to, ch- I changed. And then the third time I got it right, yeah. how I disciplined in that situation. Cause I, first time I got completely the wrong culprit. Second time I got the second wrong culprit. Third time I found out both of them were culprits <laughs> and it was an absolute, it was a moment of carnage. And, and the funny thing is, guess what happened? We probably lost half an hour or me and the two of them, of our day, Yeah. when if we'd just slowed down, it might have been five minutes. And everybody was grumpy. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Five or ten minutes rather than 30 minutes. That's right. Uh, to think upon the question in spite of um, pressures, how wonderful. Live the questions for now, as Raina Maria Rilke suggested. Everything must be carried to term before it is born. I oh, love beautiful. that quote. Yep. That is great. And see, women understand that, don't mm-hmm. they? Us men, it's like, boy, no, do no, we. we want it now. <laughs> or do we? <laughs> no, I said, boy, do we? Or boy, yeah, you boy, do. do yeah, she does. Yeah, absolutely, she does. Yeah. Uh, maybe in the unforced quiet, the unmarked hours, the unencumbered contemplation, we will arrive at good sense and clarity. Man, it's so beautiful, eh? And it's, you realize how toxic our world is in that regard? Mm. It's just everything is so busy and noisy and. You know, distracted, distracted, stimulation, noise, things, more things. Mm. Man, the devil must love it, eh? Think about my own life, what's lacking in that regard. Uh, final paragraph. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once noted, it is the pa- it couldn't be a great article without Chesterton. Just it's true, yes. Yeah, it's Mark and <laughs> G.K. Chesterton once noted, it is the paradox of history that each generation is converted by the saint who contradicts it most. That's a great point. Mm. 
That is a great point. If that is the case, then I would nominate patience as the minor virtue that, if employed diligently, contradicts our dizzy, harried, and wayward generation the most. As such, following Chesterton's reasoning, perhaps patience is the most equipped to convert us. Let us patiently see if it does. That's great, eh? Yeah. Like that article? Really good. Yeah. And important for family life, eh? Because, I mean, we've mentioned this before, family life is often marked now by just constant busyness. Yep. Going from one thing to the next. Yep. Yeah. Sporting seasons, activity seasons, uh, it's guides tonight or it's Boy Scouts or it's youth group or it's basketball practice or netball practice or rugby or soccer. Yep. It's just, and then if it's not that, it's like there's a family dinner, there's a church event, there's a a thing to be done, a, you know, go to the school and hear the teachers give you a report about your students, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's just, yeah, it's yep. um, nonstop. And I guess the question is, how do we break that shackle then? I think we've got to be deliberate, do we? Absolutely. have to be intentional about it. Yeah. 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 And I think also on the flip side of that, choosing to be patient and to wait and to take your time, mm. um, people, we feel guilty about it. Yeah. Because we feel like not being productive. We're not making wow. this happen fast enough. Yeah, that's enough. a good point. Um, I should be doing more. Yeah. I should be cooking three dinners today so that tomorrow I can do whatever else. You know, it's not so that I can yeah. rest tomorrow, it's so that I can do more stuff. Do more stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I think often we forget, like, I think men think this is solely their domain where they feel the pressure of doing efficiency mm. and doing. But in actual fact, it's mothers, it's women as well. Mm. It's all of us. It's the it's the evil or one of the well, evils. A of woman's age. work is never done. Yeah. You know, mainly they're talking about laundry. Didn't they say? <laughs> <laughs> Constant man, isn't it? Yeah. The gift that keeps on giving. Um, but it's funny, isn't it, how that efficiency then also plays into the moral realm because that impatience mm. uh, to think about the respect for human life mm. and things like abortion and euthanasia, to be in those moments of suffering, of respect for human life, you need patience. Mm. You can't want to force an outcome because if you want to, you will go to the quickest Seemingly most easiest solution, and that will be probably the the culture of death. Mm. I'd go even smaller and more personal than that, and say, yeah. um, "What's your patience like in your pre life?" Oh, and this is, um, you know, I'm saying it addressed to you, but <laughs> it's obviously for me as well. Are you talking to me? Um, it's for moi. <laughs> yeah, because you know, we we say our prayers, we, mm. we sort of tick them off the list. Oh, we said our prayers today. We've done that, but actually, how patient are you, and mm. how fast are you expecting God to? You know, you want you want yeah. the lightning bolt answer. God will enlighten my heart right now, and I'll know. Great point. Yeah, and that's not often how it works. It's in, a, my, in my experience, I don't know how many lightning bolts you get every day, but no, it's a dialogue. Yeah, and funnily enough, the lightning bolts come from just mm. being impatient, um, stillness with no agenda. Mm. It's that's right. Funny, the yeah. agenda drowns that all out. Yeah, that's a great point, Katie. Very, very yeah. good point. I've reached peak wisdom now. <laughs> You, you've climbed the mountain and found that you are the guru. <laughs> Let's all go visit the mountain. <laughs> right, that uh, musical interlude, folks, you know what that means? If you're a regular listener, that means that it's time for our moment of goodness, truth or beauty. Katie, what is your moment oh, of goodness, go truth? First? Well, your ladies first. Well, I heard a few since our last uh, podcast. Oh, this is your to, way. I've heard to narrow it down M- a wee bit. Multiple um, moments. So we have a – I shared something on Facebook a few days ago, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because we don't need to. But yeah. um, it was a reflection on motherhood and being a mum to young 
children as well as older children and sort of essentially about being in the moment yeah, you know, and appreciating it when you're in it because eventually they won't want to go to the playground anymore. And, you know, like those days pass you by without you kind of noticing. Yeah, true. Um, and the reason I mention that is because it ties into something I saw at church recently. I thought that's just so beautiful, like such a witness that um, a friend of mine was bearing without even realizing it. Yeah. So she's a mum of 10. She's got one on the way. So mm. she's a mum of 11. Yeah. Awesome. And she's about halfway through her pregnancy. And I noticed her leave the church with her two-year-old. And he was obviously having a bit of a rough time. He went to what our son used to call the naughty boys room, <laughs> which is really just a little side room <laughs> where you can still hear church yeah. going on and yeah. sort of semi-participate. And as I looked through the doors, I could see that she had put him down. She'd pulled up a chair and he was standing on the chair and he was hugging her kind of around her tummy. Yeah. Um, not for any other reason, I think, than that she was just too tired to hold him and he obviously wanted to be cuddled. Yeah. And I just thought that's such a beautiful witness, you know, like she's yeah, that's pregnant. Beautiful. She knows he still needs the connection. Yeah. And she's doing it so <laughs> yeah. in a way that she can manage it. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's a saintly yeah. witness, eh? Absolutely. Saintly heroic virtue. Yeah. It's that kind of motherly love that gets taken for granted. It's, it's again, it's patience too, isn't it? It's just being in the moment. Yeah. And no, having no agenda and just, and then, but that stuff is the stuff that's world building for yeah. human beings. We look back on those moments with our mother and, our father and they they really are quite transformative and important yeah i was just really thinking of the way that you know even she's probably quite tired and mm. but even in that moment and you might look at her and not realize or you certainly wouldn't realize to look at her that she's mm. got you know nine other kids somewhere no. else you know absolutely not she's got younger with every single child i think yeah but um even in her own moment of tiredness and just doing what she could she was still giving of yeah. herself. I yeah, awesome. so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And and if we go back to that first point where we started talking about politics, that's the kind of stuff that politics has got no business being involved, it's got no answer for it. But mm -hmm. what it can do is how does it carve out the space for that to just happen? Mm. You know what I mean? It's not about money, it's not yeah. about a policy, it's just the 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 beauty of there's like this wonder and captured and all of that. We're reading about mm. that last article, there's patience, there's this human self-giving, it's, yeah, it's above and beyond all of the other stuff, which mm. we often think is so much more important. Mm. That's a great moment. Thank yeah, you. I think you win the trophy I this month for that. Uh, <laughs> my moment of goodness, truth and beauty was a, a bit of a proud dad moment, actually. We went to the March for Life in Christchurch on Saturday, pro-life event, and a really, really great, beautiful event. And there were a couple of um, pro-abortion choice protesters who showed up, and uh, they came to heckle, and they tried to play a boom speaker loud to drown out our sound system, but... <laughs> didn't even come close. And then um, they were university age students and they then entered into a dialogue with um, our teenage daughters. So they high school sent you age. They They sent me away. <laughs> it's funny. Well, one of them asked me a question and then I started giving him robust answers and he realized, uh-oh, uh, <laughs> and so, And then I get told by another person, uh, one of the participants there um, about basically I don't want to be mansplained. And I saw, I, saw, I said, oh, I do dadsplaining, so I can do that <laughs> if you like. Um, and then uh, I got told that um, that we don't want old people talking to us. And I was like, oh, okay, that's where I'm at now. And I was like, okay, well, I'll leave. And uh, like my teenage daughters and a group of their friends – um, but I just want to let you know, I didn't say this, but I was thinking, I just want to let you know that I'm now throwing you to the wolves because with me, you'll get a measure. They're, just, they're, they're gonna No holes barred. Yeah, they're not going to, they're going to pull your arguments to bits. And then I stood back with an earshot and I watched and I listened on as holy moly, this group of young teenage, predominantly women, they're young women, 
um, engaging with these um, these uh, university age students who clearly thought that they were gonna they're the acolytes of the pro abortion choice movement, and they clearly thought we're gonna decimate these young kids. You could see it, mm. and we're here to basically evangelize them with the truth, and they'll realize now that that we're smarter than they don't know how oppressed they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait for us to tell them, and um, they tried, and our daughters and their friends. Not only did they hold their own, but they kept absolutely sort of decimating their arguments, and and um, it was like it was beautiful. It really was a thing of beauty to behold uh, because there was goodness, there was truth, there was beauty, and it went on for almost an hour. And the way they conducted themselves was a really beautiful part of it as well. They never lost the plot. The other side got nasty, actually, one of them in particular, but they 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 held their own with a beautiful charity. Mm. And it was their intellectual prowess was just, man, it was just, oh, yeah, I couldn't help. But That's I was awesome. like, I looked at this and I thought, yeah, people who are worried about the future of our country, these young women, mm. these are the leaders who are going to take us forward. And holy moly, they're already, you know, owning the opposition. Awesome. And in a good charitable kind of way, not not in a facetious um, psychotic kind of way, but in a really deep, yeah. meaningful. And, and at the end of the day, it's that charity, that witness of yep. charity that will actually change yep. the world, not not whatever you say. No, you know? and I and mean, the, and they had the, they basically had a good. They really did have a good natured dialogue. Yeah, between the two groups, which was just knowing how to disagree well. Yeah, and <laughs> and not just myself, but another one of the adults who was there, one of the other dads, Jason. Uh, we we both separately uh, went over and thanked them for being there and for having the dialogue and having the conversation. And, and I imagine that might have meant something to them too because they probably thought, oh, just a bunch of um, angry woman haters and they'll, <laughs> they'll you know, because believe it or not, people think that way. Absolutely. And so to sort of discover that they're actually welcome yep. is kind of a, yeah, it was it was great though. Yeah. All righty, so what about your scripture reflection for the month, Katie? You're gonna, now you're going to pick up your phone? I know. I am. This is, uh, you, you're, this is the disadvantage of being first cab off the rank. You've got to be ready to go when the questions are asked. <laughs> You gotta wait for the husband to stop talking. You your <laughs> Shut your pie holes so I can read from the Bible. <laughs> this is a common, a common occurrence. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh man, so we laugh, but it's true. <laughs> this is um, was one of the readings of the day a few weeks ago, mm. and I, it's, it's been sitting with me since then. And I just thought I have to share that. So when I read it in the morning, um, the version I had had a different translation, mm. and it wasn't till I heard it again later that day with the translation that really struck me. And I had to go find it. I had to go looking for this other translation because yes. it made such a difference. So, so you mean Bible translation, not uh, Bible language. Translation, not different, language. Different language, yeah. 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 Both in English. Yes. <laughs> Both very good English. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's from First Thessalonians chapter 3. Cool. And it says this, uh, it's verse 7. So Paul's um, writing to the church in Thess- Thessalonica. Yeah. Some might say Thessalonica. Right. Well, but it they? is, yeah. Which, which one is right? Uh, I think it's just a pronunciation thing. Okay. Possibly Thessalonica because of the Greek pronunciation. So that one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's talking about how, you know, we sent Timothy to you because we heard things were bad and now Timothy's come back and he's told us how happy you mm. all are. And that's great. <laughs> and then he says, And so, brothers, your faith has been a great encouragement to us in the middle of our own distress and hardship. Awesome. Now we can breathe again as you are holding firm in the Lord. The version I had first said, for now we live, yes. for you are holding firm in the Lord. And But when I heard it later that day, it just really struck me that whole, now we can breathe again, how beautiful that was. Uh, like, yeah. You know, when you're really struggling with something, be it faith or other things, and yeah. then you're, when you have a good friend who witnesses to you or someone who supports you or just yeah. 
surrounded by people that, you know, share your faith with you. Yeah. That feeling of relief. Now yeah, that's can a great breathe point. Breathe again. That's gosh, you know, that's great. It's so beautiful. So yeah. it's really struck with me. You've given me lungs. That's a beautiful. Yeah, that is so that's stunning, awesome, eh? I love yeah. that. Yeah, you're right about that translation difference. Yeah, Holy it makes a big difference. Moly. I had to go look and I was like, why are all these all these boring ones? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we can breathe again, man. Yeah. It's I mean, there's a reason why you get um pop songs about romance and love that talk yeah. about, you know, breathe again, breathe again. Because it, it is, there's something about that. You you give me yeah. my breath. And wow. it's just that feeling of relief, you know, like they've been so worried about the church there. Yeah. And they had to wait for Timothy to go they're there and then breath. come back. Yeah, they're holding their oh, breath wow. to make sure, like, are you standing firm? Are you yeah. witnessing to Christ? Wow. That is Beautiful. awesome. So me, um, gosh, yeah, that, that was, man, you get the second trophy. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Well, you might go first. Yeah. <laughs> two thumbs up. Um, one Timothy chapter three verses two to five talk, is talking about the qualifications to be in leadership, different leadership roles in the church, and it starts first of all by talking about that the person must be temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an apt teacher, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome and not a lover of money. And then it says this, he must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Which Paul also writes to Timothy and calls the household of God. So, um, And then in verse 12, later on in verse 12, it's talking about a different position in leadership, and it says, and let them manage their children and their households well. That's a qualification. And I was thinking just the what, what really struck me about this reading is as I'm reading this, is is the actual importance of the prioritization of the household mm. and, and family life. And it's it's um it's how it should be the first priority. And it's also mm. uh when you prioritize it, it becomes a qualification for you. It's it's not an impediment. Mm. Oh, I'm too busy. I can't, I'm too busy. Mm. But it's it's so it's not an impediment to prioritize family life and to do that with genuine uh care and love and excellence. It also becomes a qualification then, and it becomes a, a character trait that people say, yeah, this person has reliability and integrity and they can be trusted. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's, we, we often think that, that self-giving love is just a demand. It's all just self-sacrificial. But this is the paradox. If you seek out the, goal, uh, the reward, then it's no longer self-sacrificial. Mm. But if you seek out the self-sacrificial, the reward comes. Mm. You flourish as a result of this. And this is one way we flourish. Our family life flourishes, obviously, and then also, as individuals, we flourish too, mm. but by but we don't flourish by prioritizing our own needs and our own self. We prioritize the the well being and the flourishing of our family, and then we, uh, in this case, there's a you reap a reward of that. You become someone who is now qualified mm. to actually govern other areas. It's gosh, it really struck me as being quite profound. How important that is. If you, like, if you want to be a better manager, a better employee, mm. I don't know, a better member or leader in your church, uh, a better sports team member, whatever it is, mm. prioritize your family life and do it well. Absolutely, I think um, you actually need to pour yourself into your family life before yeah. you pour yourself into all those other things. Yeah, you know, because if that, because it's out of order if you don't do it that way. Yeah. You know, remember we have a friend who um, talks about when her dad was doing loads and loads of stuff for the church. Yeah. And then he realized one night as he was going out to like his fifth meeting of the week. Yeah. This is actually wrong. Yeah. This is not. It's what, all out this of order. This is not, yeah, the order that God wants mm. for our family life. And he really pulled mm. back and and restructured. Yeah. And I would still, like, uh, he's a better leader today than he was. Yeah. When he was going to all those meetings all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. So true. 
Alrighty, folks, that was our moment of goodness, truth, and beauty in our scriptural reflections for the month. Gosh, there was some really good stuff in there this time, wasn't there? <laughs> and I should say, too, we've opened the door now to let a bit of fresh air into the you office. Might get some ambiance. So you will. You'll get the sounds of nature, the lawnmower from next door. Maybe the guy next door who likes to play his... I know, and when he's not doing that, he's playing his, uh, his doof-doof music <laughs> quite loud. So if, you, if that's what uh, you hear, then uh, apologies. Uh, let's jump into the listener questions. We've got three good questions today. First one, Katie, why is sexual sin so serious? Because it never hurts just one person. Oh, oh, that's... Oh, ching, ching. That is, that is good. That's a nice, succinct answer. You can elaborate, though. <laughs> that is good. No, that is great. You might have had a different answer, I suppose. No, no, you stole my thunder and you gave a really Did good sound bite. Um, exciting, that never happened. Well, in a sense, though, you'd say it's not – sexual sin is not um, uh, is not more serious than, say, murder, <laughs> you know. So there, there is a hierarchy in a sense. There's a gravity to actions. You know, taking a, a Post-it note from the, the workplace without asking permission is not the same as committing a sexual sin, which is not the same as murdering someone, you know, for example. Mm. Um, and so it is not the most serious of sins necessarily, but it is still serious. And you're right, it's the communal aspect of it. Yeah. It's so intimately communal. Now, all sin in a sense is communal. It mm. affects the community, not just me. But there is a direct community. Like there is two, at least two persons probably involved or if it's, say, pornography or something like that, there are other persons still involved. It still hurts other people. Yeah, even if not um, <clears throat> necessarily in the immediate physical intimacy, <clears throat> they have been involved in the production of the material <clears throat> that's being used to watch or whatever. You know, so so it's, um, it is, and I think also it's, it is a sin where there is a very clear, what some people call the psychosexual aspect of it. There is a psycho, uh, psychology and some very, very mm. powerful um, biochemical things happening in your body True. when you engage in the sexual act. And those chemicals and those processes exist for a reason, and that reason is really good. It's for bonding. The bonding, it's supposed to bond spouses together. It's what it is. You know, bonding and babies, the two Bs of, of the gift of our sexuality and the sacredness of it. But if that bonding is just is disordered, it's being used all around town, you know, those things are still going on. Mm. Those things are still happening. And so there's a there's a real deep sort of um, imprinting, in a sense, on the person. Yeah. Memories, uh, addictions, mm. behavioral addictions, you know, stuff yeah. like that. So um, I think and, – and, and of course, too, you've mentioned it. You started with – you know, it involves – it always involves one other person, right? Yeah. It's a – it's more than just one person. That the communal aspect of it is, um, we've got to remember, is that the the sexual act is a reflection of the communal nature of God, the Trinity. Mm. So the the sexual act within marriage and its fruitfulness and everything else really is quite a powerful imaging of mm. the the Trinity. Both the husband and wife give of each other in total self giving love, and then their love can become fruitful, mm. and you give that love a name when it's born. It's it's quite a profound thing. So what that means is that it's a distortion of the face of God too when we uh, mm. engage in sexual sin. Um, yep. Yeah, it's not just a, a, there's other people involved, but it's a distortion of the face of God when it's mm. disordered and a distortion of the image of God when it's disordered. Uh, one thing I think is worth pointing out here too, just to, just as before we move on to the next question, that is this, that, um, that the, the Christian call when it comes to sexuality is a call to sexual holiness. It's not a call to heterosexuality. It's not a call to marriage. It's whatever state you're in, whatever struggles you are grappling with, it's a call to sexual holiness. Mm. to have a right order mm. and a right ordered sexuality. So you don't engage in sexual acts outside of uh, marriage between one woman and one man. 
and um, whatever form that might take. Yeah. And that holiness literally means just to be set apart. But some have also said that you could talk about holiness as being wholeness. Mm. And I think that's true. Mm. Um, so it, it's – and even if you are single, you know, there's a there's a sexual holiness you're called to and it's also a wholeness. It's not – you're not incomplete. Mm. You're not incomplete if you're not married. There's something – God has something else maybe for you, even if it's a single vocation or, or it's a period of singleness. It's mm. You're not inferior. You're not lesser. If you're struggling with, say, same-sex attraction, the call is to holiness. You know, you haven't failed if you're not heterosexual. Mm. We we all of us fail when we fail to live up to God's calling for our sexuality, whether whether we experience a, a same sex attraction or it's a heterosexual attraction, whatever it is, you know. Mm. So it's uh, yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, to, to point that out. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say on that one? No, you covered it. Yeah, you're you're a zinger of a soundbite. What was that again? Just give us. One I can't more. remember. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it never hurts. Just one person. Yeah, like that's that's yeah. brilliant. That is so good. Okay, second question then. How do you grieve together in marriage? What does that practically look really like? Really interesting question, isn't it? Mm. I think it depends on what you're what or who you're grieving. Yeah. Um. I. You know. You sort of immediately jump to a who, don't you, when you read that question? Yeah. But um, it could be wrong. But um, under that assumption, it depends. Well, can you break that down a bit? You say what or who? What, what well, do you I mean sort by of think, what? Well, immediately, I think from a personal point of view. I remember when your father passed away. Yes. So that's my understanding of that question. Yeah. But I wonder if um, this person may possibly be talking about a miscarriage yes. or something or a stillbirth or, you know, something along those lines where you're both grieving. Because yeah. Because you grieved your father passing away differently to the way I did. Yes. Because you had a completely different relationship with him yeah. and knew him for a much more extended mm. period of time and all of his ups and downs and everything mm. and, and, and had a childhood relationship with him, which I didn't. Whereas if you're grieving – a miscarried, you know, baby that's passed away, a baby mm. that's died early, um, or a child even. Maybe yeah. Later on, we have a friend yeah. who lost a daughter at sort of seven or eight. You know, yes. that that's a different type of grief, yeah, I call. would argue, um, and something that maybe you would, a child, I think maybe you would grieve together a bit more in some ways. Yes. Whereas you and I probably grieved your father together, D- but separately. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, can I add to that too, is also like there could be a what, there mm. could be, let's say yep. you had a um, a plan for your family life yes. or a big investment and you were yeah. robbed and all of your money stolen and now there's no way of recovering yeah. it, no way of bouncing back and you have to grieve the loss yes, of what you'd hoped yeah. for. Yeah. You know, uh, I know people, friends of ours who have um, children with disabilities talked about the sense of having to yes. grieve and to let go of the dream or the ideal, the, 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 the plans they yeah. had in mind for their child and just receive the gift of the yeah, child. Right. So yeah. there's a grief in all of those kinds Absolutely. of things too, right? Yeah. Mm. But I think in terms of grief, you know, a loss of a person. Yes. Um, as far as when we, when your father passed away. Yeah. From my point of view, it was my job to support you. Yes. In that grief and to be there when you were ready to talk, which wasn't actually for a, a while after because yeah. you had to help run the, organize the funeral and do all the practical stuff. Um, and I saw my role more as the support person for you to, yeah. to give you the space to do that and to help you practically how I could. And then it wasn't really until a week or two later that you really were ready to have some more deep conversations yeah. about that loss. In fact, it was probably over a period of a few months, really, that we yeah unpacked, drilled, it, drilled it carried down into on, that. It carried yeah. and yeah, processing that's all a good of that. point. Yeah, um, and and so that's yeah. the that's the practical aspect then of yeah. And give, I think there's an element of together but apart yeah. in that, you know, and and probably even with the loss of a child. To be honest, I mean that's you know we're not something we've had to suffer through. Yeah. Um, but we've watched friends go through it 
And yeah. I think you can be too separate yeah. in your grief. It's really important that you give each other that time and that space and a bit of patience and a bit of silence and just, you know. Yeah, patience. We talked about that yeah. earlier on, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point because it's kind of like if you think about athletic pursuits, right? I think this is a good uh, metaphor to compare it with. No two athletes are the same, mm. and they're just not going to run a race the same way, and they're not going right. to be um, at the same stage uh, together throughout the course. Mm. They might, as long as they finish together, that's mm. the key, and as long as they know they're together, and that's also the key. Mm. But one may be running off ahead while the other is still back a bit. Mm. And I think as long as the third point is probably as long as one doesn't give up and just sit down, that's right. that's, yeah. that's a trap. You can't, you know, the, the maybe the temptation to say, "Oh no, I'm grieving in my own way," and what I've actually done is I've stopped and I've mm. fallen into despair like a pit. Mm. So you've got to be careful of that. But um, yeah, I think I I imagine from what I've seen and what I hear from those who've been through very serious levels of grief, mm. like losing a child, for example. That consistently, what you hear is these things are real um, toxins to marriage and relationships, and a big part of it is is absolutely is the impatience that comes mm. and the um, that inability just to sit with the other and mm. you know what I mean. It, it's mm. just it's huge. It's a uh, mm. yeah, it's life altering and 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 also it never goes away. I think practically you've got to accept that the a person is a relationship. It's an intimate part of who you are. You know when you've given yourself to someone and then you lose them. And that doesn't end. The with each passing year, things change, and you know, well, hopefully they do get uh, easier, and the um, the emotion gets less intense. Mm. But it, it never that reality never disappears. It's not like you suddenly just stop thinking about it. That's right. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Gosh, that's a that's a good question, eh? I think practically too. You you you've got to. I guess there's probably signs you got to look out for. Mm. Like if you do think things are getting into despair with um, the other person, you've probably got to have a conversation initially and then maybe even be considering, well, how do I get support for this person if it, That's right, it gets yeah. more Counseling is always an option. Yeah. Right? Like, don't be afraid of that. Yeah, and, I, and I, I know people and I've heard from them that they talk about there's a PTSD often involved too. You go mm. back into the grief. It's, it's um, you know, and you just got to be aware of that. It's, um, in, so in a sense, how do you grieve together? Well, you kind of can't together together, but you do grieve with each other. Does mm. that make sense? Yes. Like you talked about this. Uh, for you, there was, uh, here I am grieving, but you're in a, in a different place. But we are together. We're with each other in that. But we're not grieving together mm. uh, in that. that. Yeah, it's. You're not going to grieve in the same way. Nope. Yeah, because nope. you have a specific specific relationship with the person you've lost and yeah yeah so your grief will be specific as well yeah gosh yeah. it's a complex thing i think thing, keeping eh? those lines of conversation and communication open and um being aware of where the other person is at i think is really yeah. important. yeah again that patience article was really prescient mm. here mm. because i think you've got to avoid the temptation to for speed and efficiency that's mm. the real truth oh, come on we just this happened two years ago why can't we just move on mm. Now, if there is someone in a pit of despair, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. But often that's not the case. We just we want the grieving schedule and the clock and the <laughs> plan to work to our. Are you up to anger yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We want it, but it's not that way. Everyone Actually, that's is different. An important point, though, a yeah. lot of, and I've seen this a lot in guys. Mm. Um, often grief will manifest as anger. Oh heck yeah! And I think more, much more in men yes. than women. Maybe I'm generalising too much. But no, I think you're yeah, right. That um, the angry 
and and sometimes yeah. that anger gets directed at, at their partner. Sometimes it gets directed yeah. at God. Um, sometimes it's just the universe, you know. But yeah. it's just to remember that that if if you're dealing with a with a husband or wife that's particularly angry, mm. that they're still very much in that grief. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where you've got to be careful. The excesses again. Mm. So just like despair uh, and anger that becomes rage mm, and yes. is destructive yeah. and is not should not be tolerated. Mm. There's no excuse for that. Um, and so don't lie down in the face of a rage-fueled um, mm. spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever it is that's, you know, doing that. Yeah. I think also um, is uh, prayer is an essential component. Yes. And I think this is the moment where you got to – I often talk about um, the prayer of an honest man mm. or the prayer of Job. It's the, it's the trials of Job, man, mm. and it's the prayer <laughs> of Job. And it's just you got to have that honest dialogue with God. And if you're frustrated, you're angry, whatever – you just got to say, look, God, I am angry and I don't yeah, understand. Acknowledge it. You don't, yeah. don't. The worst thing you can do is go push for this sort of trite Christianese yeah, yeah. sort of, um, oh, no, I must put on a, a pretend pious face. Mm. And I must say, oh, I know, God, that you know all, the, all that is happening. And, and, I, and I have absolutely no questions to ask whatsoever. And mm. I just willingly submit and I will, I will now quash. Mm. All of my uncertainty and all of my frustrations and anger. No, no. Speak to God. Yeah. He's listening. He's right there. Speak to him. And if you get, look, what does the name Jacob mean in the scriptures? To wrestle with God. That's mm. what it means. And so we need to adopt that. And you go, you read the Old Testament, you see that wrestling with God. In fact, you see the New Testament. Think about the the Canaanite woman mm. who comes uh, to Jesus looking for a healing and he talks about, you know, um, there's this beautiful interchange. People often get it so wrong. And Jesus um, has a bit of a laugh with her, basically. And he <laughs> says, well, um, why should the dogs get the scraps from the master's table? Mm. And it, he's really looking for her to engage and to wrestle with God. And she does. No, no, no. What? Yeah. What did she say? Even the dogs get the scraps from the master's table. That was her response. Sorry. Um, and, uh, and, and this, this, Engagement brings the fruitfulness. The wrestling with God brings the the fruit. Mm. So don't be afraid to wrestle with God, man. Jacob did it all night. Wrestled with the angel. You know, you you've got a what what you know. It's the danger is this insincere, superficial. I will just accept this. I will not ask any questions. I will bury what I really think. Because mm. if you were in a marriage and that was happening, you'd say, no, you're not relating to the other person. That's right. So don't do it with God either. And I think um, if you're supporting someone who's grieving, yeah, it's less about what you say, and sometimes mm. more about um, you know, like often we want to pull out, we want to say the right thing, this will fix yeah. it. They're in a better place, whatever. And those yeah. things can sometimes be the worst, oh, the worst yeah. possible things to yeah. say. I don't want them in a better place. I want them in this yeah, place, right? Yeah, you know? or just or like, how can I? Sometimes people yeah. are not in a position to believe that at the time. You yeah. Know? yeah. So. Um, Obviously, there's an element of trust there, but you know, if they're not ready for that, yeah, that doesn't help. So it's more about, like I said, just being there, yeah, being ready to listen. I think um, having those conversations where you remember, mm. you know, our kids love it when we bring up stories about Pop. Yeah, you know, they love that because it helps them to remember him. Yeah, and to be happy. Yes, you know, it's that. Who is it? Christina Rossetti, whoever it was. Remember me. Better that you forget me and be happy. Yeah, that you remember me and be sad. Yeah, I think you can do both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can forget kind of that they're gone. Yeah. You remember the things that made you laugh or made you happy about them. Or, yeah. Like recently we had our school musical and we um, needed a walking stick for a character. And so I misappropriated Pop's walking stick that lives in our wardrobe. Mm, and, but I the kids were like, this is Pop's walking stick. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I thought, 
Tom would actually love that. He'd be looking yeah. down from heaven and he'd he's be still like, part that's so of cool. You know, life. like he's still there. Yeah. It's a tradition. It's a custom. It's something yeah. that's there. Yeah. That's a great point. That 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 again, not rushing. Not mm. and you gotta you gotta I think acknowledging too yeah. the hardship. Yeah. You just absolutely. you just don't don't be tried and don't say, Oh, it's all good. You know, like I often say to people in these situations, I'll say, Look, man, that is just I'll just acknowledge it. I say that's mm. just truly awful. I just mm. I really feel for you. Or I might even say, depending on who it is, if I've got a bit more of a relationship with them, I might say, look, God is good, but man, these things are hard. That's right. You know, like it just, yeah. you got to do that. You yeah. So I try and do both and like I acknowledge, it's almost, again, it's Job. Mm. Job acknowledges the, the absolute supremacy of God, but he doesn't downplay or deny the, the awful tragedy and hardship and suffering he's going through. That's it's right. both and. Yeah. So, One of our girls yeah, the other day said to both. me, um, sometimes I think Job's just looking down from heaven going, oh, what are you complaining about? <laughs> <laughs> that is a great insight. Like, that's brilliant. <laughs> sort your life out. Yeah, get, yeah, pick your bags up and get back on, on the road. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Okay, uh, that brings us to the third and final question. This is a great one. How am I supposed to find a Christian to marry when the church does such a poor job in this area? Mm. Well. I did not know the church was a matchmaking service. Well, yeah, it is a good point, though. I think there's a valid point here. Um, but maybe it's around singleness. We we don't often support single people. Yeah, yeah. and community's broken down. Like mm. I, I suspect you'd have a lot less um, frustrated and unhappy unmarried mm. Christian people if there was strong, authentic community in our churches, and they were they felt like they actually had a place, mm. and they weren't just in the waiting room. The, the sort of the cast-offs who hadn't yet found a, uh, a marriage partner, then they could join the rest of the gang in the main dining room. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> In the real party. Yeah, in the real party. Uh, so I think that is a factor for sure. But how am I supposed to find a Christian to marry when the I mean, church I think does the such a poor job? I in the question. Um, yeah. Well, go look at Yes, I agree. Yeah, well, precisely. Yeah, okay. Yep. Or, sh- or should you be? I mean, it's the way the question's phrased. It's making me think, how am I supposed to find... Yeah, like it's number one. It's not. It shouldn't all be on you. You shouldn't feel that it's all on you to find this. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Mythical Christian person that you know. Who knows? <laughs> who unicorn. even knows if your future spouse is a Christian yet? Maybe it's your job yeah. to make that happen. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Like, are yeah. you hemming yourself in? I'd love, I'd love for all of my Christian friends to pair up with beautifully Christian people. That would be yeah. the ideal. But in the age that we live in, maybe more realistically. Yeah, you maybe just need to find a really good moral person, and pray that they. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, the idea. It, it is. Yeah. I'm kind of fraught on that one. Yeah, and I'm torn on it because I do think that don't it, be unequally yoked. Yeah, yeah. And saying that though, I've seen some really mm. amazing, and that but they don't tend to always be the norm. But there are some no, examples I can think it's not of. Always the norm where the people have you've had a good moral spouse. Funnily enough, what often happens is they end up converting anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So it's sort of like they were almost yeah. on the journey. But, yeah. yeah, I think part of it too is maybe just in general, you there is a problem in the modern age with uh, unrealistic expectations. How do you mean? Like that we set these standards that are too, too high, high yeah. and it is. We've got this like um, – So they've got to be Christian. They've got to have a job that pays us much per year. Yeah, they've, they've got, got to, to be smarter than me. They've got to be this. They've got right, to be an athlete. Yeah, they've yeah. got to be good looking. Sideburns can't be more than three quarters. Yeah. All that. It's like it becomes Side a shopping list. can be fixed. <laughs> Take that off your list right now. So what you've got to do – I was reading a great book the other day where it's it's actually by a feminist called um, Feminism – uh, feminism against progress. Yeah, and 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 one of the things she says is you just got to – she uses a swear word, but I won't use it. She goes, you just got to lower your beep standards. You know, and I was like, yeah. And so, so what she's saying is don't ever become someone's doormat. So you don't mm. degrade yourself. But 
too many people we do have maybe unrealistic sort mm. of expectations and we we have the shopping list of instead of and we're also often looking for the perfect every all the road signs are going to line up mm. i what i know and i understand now about marriage so well is that in actual fact you've got to fight for it and once you're in it, the fight doesn't end. That's it actually, right. that's when it yeah, starts. That's right. You've got to work at it, work at it, fight for mm. it, fight for it every day. And the days where you wake up and you don't feel like being married or you don't feel in love, those are the days where you must act like you are the most married person that's Fake ever been married. You You've got to be act <laughs> like you are the most in love with your husband or wife than you, that you've ever been before. Mm. And guess what happens? You fall out of that being out of love phase, you mm. fall back into love again. It's it's just how it works. So the the priority then is the willingness to love and basic mm. maturity. It's not how much money they got in the bank already. Can we afford a house? Look, that stuff will come as long as they are not are not a reprobate. As long as they're not a drug user and they're wasting money, all those kinds of things. Go back to Timothy. Yeah, yeah. Shared go back. List. To, yeah, and 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 I. I That's I, your list. It's actually in Timothy. Yeah. No, no sideburns. No. <laughs> None of that carry on. No. I think there is a bigger cultural question though that has crept into the yeah. church, and there is um, there is uh, the destruction of marriage and family culture mm. in general. We've got this very self-referential, self-centric, uh, individualistic, uh, what uh, Roger Scruton would call um, Homo economicus, human beings reduced to economic units, and we tend to think, well, what's my career? As a as a woman, what's my career as a man? You know, what's my work? All that kind of stuff. And then what happens is instead of thinking in terms of how am I going to build a life with a person, mm. I'm thinking how am I going to build my yeah, schemes yeah. and my plans and yeah. and we reduce it. Often the economic framing. Why can't framing, I find someone that will slot into my life that I've created? Yeah, yeah. and, and so yeah. th- that's a harder thing to fight. You sort of, in a sense, you can become the victim of that kind of culture yeah, yeah, yeah. because, you know, you, the, the marriageable prospects are limited if yeah. other people around you are not seeing yeah. marriage as a priority. I True, totally yeah. get that. And also that's do, where the church has got to step up. I do think there's sort of a lack of single men yes. of a certain age. Again, that's the church yeah. has got to step up. How the does church, the church fix that, though? The church has got to evangelize the culture, and they've yeah. got to speak to the culture, and they've actually got to present a robust, muscular Christianity. And I don't mm. mean a, a machismo kind of mm. toxic um, you know, I'm a real man kind of thing. I mean a robust, muscular Christianity mm. that speaks to the age because that will appeal to mm. – there's a reason why a lot of men don't turn up. Mm. They just they look at it and they go, well, what is this? Mm. It, comes, it kind of feels like a bit of an emotive social club and it's not <laughs> – you know, it's, you've got to connect. So, And it's women as well, I think, that the, the, the churches – the ones that are thriving are the ones that have got strong orthodoxy They've got a clear vision and mission, and they're not afraid to say when the culture sticks its ugly beacon, they're not afraid to actually punch back. Yeah. And I mean in charitable love and to, and to snap the beak of the secular culture. They, they don't just submit. And so what happens is that draws people in. There's a sense of clarity. There's a mm. sense of guardrails. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and unsurprisingly, mm. uh, f- uh, friends of ours who are pastor of a, pastors of a Protestant church, and uh, and he was just saying about how these people are now in the church. They're coming in and then they're meeting each other and they're, they're getting married. And it's it's, yeah. it's been several of them over the last year yeah. or two. That's so awesome. I, I think, like, yeah, th- there's got to be. I think if the vibrancy of your worshiping community is there and there's a, the Holy mm. Spirit is present, and guess what will happen? It'll be fruitful. Mm. It will be. So what's the answer to this person then? Go and find a better church. Uh, good <laughs> well, question. Maybe go overseas, find a really good okay. conference to go so to. You've <laughs> got, I think you've got to, first of all, you've got to do your own honest, critical self-evaluation and you've got to do a self-audit. 
how much of this is me? Mm. How much of this is outside? How much am factors? I actually putting myself out there? Yeah, yeah. Is and, it, and in what spheres am I doing that? Yes. Yeah. And so I think you've got to audit things like: Are my standards unrealistic? Yeah. Um, are, are my um, are there problems in my own life? Mm. Am I shifting the blame when I sh- all that kind of stuff? Or is it you know all these outside factors that are going on? You know the culture yeah. I'm in. That you know all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's absolutely essential. You've got to do a self audit. Um, and then I think, yeah, you do have to start making some hard decisions about all of this. Well, yeah. you know, um, where am I going to go? Um, do, do I need to actually start making a mm. big change in, in what I'm doing here? Uh, do I need to shift to a new location? Mm. I mean, it, it's that's the reality of it. You know, how, how committed am I to this outcome? Um, and then the other thing you've got to remember is this, and this is really important. We often forget this. The church is you and I. So often we go, oh, the church, <laughs> as in everyone else out there is not doing the job I want them to do. But hold on, what are you doing to change that culture? So mm. maybe it's a matter of saying, okay, well, what can we do realistically? I, I'm a big subscriber to the the leadership motto of Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore, and his motto was, there is always one more thing you can do. Hmm. And I, 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 I really struggle to believe there's ever a situation when you go, nah, I've done everything and there's nothing. It's, yeah. i just got to resign myself. I'm too to old f- now. It's obviously not meant to be for me. Yeah, I'm like, no, yeah. I, I, I read about a couple today in a rest home who met oh, each other and got so married. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, like just a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah. and they're like, yeah, <laughs> he walked in and I knew. And I was like, hilarious. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah there, there's, there's always one more thing you can do. So I think what you've got to do is you've got to, I think, go, okay, well, if I'm stuck in Podunkville, out the back of nowhere, and mm. and you know, and there are no thriving Christian communities that I can be part of, well, then maybe I need to move and stop saying, yeah. you know, well, I put myself out the back of beyond that I can't meet anyone, yeah. or I got to get back to trusting God. If I'm called to be in the space, trust God. Yeah. Trust God that He's got you here right now for another reason, and that when the time is right, that will happen. Mm. And I think the other thing too is that you've also got to. Um, Say, okay, I am part of the church, so what am I doing? Maybe I could start my own singles ministry or a whatever. Maybe we need a singles group in our church where we just get together and then we invite friends and others and mm. it, it starts to draw a community. And then suddenly, lo and behold, mm. out of that community, one day I meet someone. Mm. You know? I think, yeah, I, I really do think you've... Um, it's hard because the culture is so antithetical to this. I do get this. Yes, yeah. And and that's one thing I worry about for our kids. But it's you've got to like you've got to find a group of people who are willing to just say, you know what, marriage is a priority. Let's stop mucking around that's and stop right. obsessing over you know self interest and careerism ahead mm. of what's actually important. Mm. And that's hard because you can't force others into that. No, that's right. You've got to try and evangelize the culture into yeah. that. So yeah, intentional community is a big part of that. And. And, and I think a big part of that is building it. And also discern, be discerning. Mm. The, the Christian call, again, is not a call to marriage. Mm. It is a call to holiness. And maybe your calling, as hard as you might find this, is that you're not called to marriage. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that's, that's definitely not for everybody. That's right. But it is something to ask, have I discerned that factor? Mm. Because maybe, maybe I'm pushing against something God even better, I'm thinking, oh, this is a stone when he's really giving me bread, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I there's a whole lot wrapped up in that, but but I, I get it. The person who asked that question, I totally get it because you're right. The church is not intentional community is not being fought for and fostered by the church, and you need that. Mm. Um, our teaching around marriage and family life and prioritizing, it's not. We're often muddled or a very weak or ineffectual voice against the culture, and we're often not evangelizing enough. So mm. no new souls coming in the door. <clears throat> 
potentially handsome marriageable souls. You know, like it's just <laughs> yeah, it's, all of that's got to be happening too. So, yeah. woo, big question, big question, hmm. and uh, another big episode. Um, on that note, let's wrap things up. Um, Katie, do you have any? No, actually, before we get to that, oh, I'll no, give you no more sound bites left. I'm all out. Yeah, have a think about any Tapped last sound bite that you want. <laughs> I'll just say, folks, don't forget to share this episode if you liked it. Share it with your friends and family. Share it around. Share, share, and share alike. That's what we say. <laughs> uh, subscribe if you're not already a subscriber. Give us a rating if you can, whatever platform you're listening on. Don't forget if you want to support our ministry, uh, we are totally dependent on the providence of God and donor-driven ministry. So um, please go to either patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. If you become a $5 monthly patron, you get access to those other, you know, um, cultural and political commentary podcasts each week. And also you can do it through lifenet.org.nz. Our bank account details are found there. And if you're in New Zealand, you will get a um, a tax rebate each year for uh, your charitable donations. So lifenet.org.nz, the links are in today's show notes. Don't forget, last but not least, you can ask your questions at thelittleflockpodcast.org or lifenet.org.nz. And now I should say it might not be a question, it might be a topic yeah. that you want us to unpack or a scripture you've read and you say, oh, I don't understand this, can you give us a bit more insight? Whatever it is, <laughs> we'll do our best to tackle it. <clears throat> With an, all of our lack of expertise, we should say. <laughs> we will get out our humble, old, humble. <laughs> our old Britannicas. Yeah. We will go to the old Jugal. Brennan's only got the A. <laughs> I got the A. We're going to get B any next topics month. that start with A. <laughs> We're covered. Yeah. Any questions related to topics <laughs> beginning with A? We are totally covered, man. We'll go back to the Commodore sixty four and right. warm it up for two days and then find our answers. <laughs> uh, okay, folks. On that happy note, don't forget: live by goodness, truth, and beauty, not by lies. And we will see you next time on the Little Flock. See you then. The Little Flock is a joint production of the LifeNet Charitable Trust and LeftFoot Media. If you enjoyed this show, then please help us to ensure that more of this great content keeps getting made by becoming a patron of the show at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Little Flock. <laughs>